The Franklin Church of Christ welcomes you as we open God's Word and learn how it impacts our lives. In this lesson, Edwin examines a Bible hero who received only two verses in the whole Bible, but he really stands out in the crowd. Let's open our Bible and learn about Jabez. Have you ever read the first ten chapters of the book of First Chronicles? I've read it. And frankly, after just a few verses, my eyes kind of glaze over and I just pray that the names will end. Why don't you turn to First Chronicles, beginning at chapter 1 and verse 1. First Chronicles chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, Adam, Seth, Enosh, Canaan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The sons of Japheth were Gomer and Magog and Madai and Javan and Tubal and Meshach and Tiras. The sons of Gomer were Ashkenaz and Dipha and Togarma. The sons of Javan were Elisha and Tarshisha and Kittim and Rodanim. And the sons of Ham were Cush and Mizraim and Phut and Canaan. And oh man, when is it ever going to end? All these names and all these people. And it just goes on and on and on. And I have no doubt that in God's plan, there's a reason for all of this. But I've, in all honesty, I have to tell you that it just, it just bores me to tears. However, smack in the middle of this droning list of names, God stopped and pulled out two verses. And it was almost as if he was wanting to slap us out of our stupor and say, Wake up! I've got somebody that you need to know about. Here was a man that in the droning roll call of humanity stands out. And you need to look at him and you need to know about him because you need to be like him. Here was a man in this list of names But he was different. Why? Why did God want us to know about this man who stood out in the crowd? First Chronicles chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 tell us about a man named Jabez. And here's what First Chronicles chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 tells us. Now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bore him in pain. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. I'd like for us to take a look at Jabez, because if he could stand out in the crowd, I think we can too. Here's the question for us. In God's roll call of humanity, when He got to our name, would there be any reason for Him to stop and say, folks, you need to take notice to this fella or to this sister? We can stand out in the crowd just like Jabez did. But we've got to do what Jabez did. So I'd like for us to take a look at five keys in Jabez's life. And by the way, I am well aware... I'm well aware that there's a book that's been published called The Prayer of Jabez by Bruce Wilkinson. I just want you to know that this is neither a review or a critique of that book. I'll let him preach his sermon. I just want to preach the one that's found in the Bible. And that's what we're going to do tonight. Let's take a look at what does the Bible really say about this fellow, Jabez. God obviously wanted us to know about him. Lesson number one. 
If you want to stand out in the crowd, the very first thing that you've got to learn is don't let the crowd determine where you will stand. Jabez went through what a great majority of us go through. His life had been prophesied for him. That is, he was told what he was and what he was going to be. Evidently, when Jabez was born, he caused his mother a great deal of pain and she did not want him to forget it. She named him Jabez, which means causes pain. What that means is every time he was ever even called into his mother's presence, she was reminding him, you're nothing but a pain. Can you imagine this? He's off playing in some other room and she hollers out for him, causes pain, will you get in here? That's, that's what he's hearing all of his life. His teachers at school, what do they call? Just a pain. Causes pain. Raise your hand before you answer. All those kinds of things. What he's hearing is, you just cause pain. That's all you do. That's all you are. And with that constant onslaught of always being told that all you do and all you are is a cause of pain, eventually that kind of thing sinks in with the person. And they begin to believe. Well, maybe that is all I am. And they begin to live. Well, maybe that is all that I am. And their life has been set for them by what others have said about them. The very same thing happens today. And the very same things have happened in our lives. They've been prophesied for us. Every single one of us have been through it. Sometimes the prophesying is positive. Sometimes, as in the case of Jabez, it's negative. There are some people who are told all their lives that they're going to grow up to be doctors and lawyers and presidents, that they're going to be scientists and do amazing things. And there are other people that are told all their lives that they're no good bums, they're going to grow up to be hoods and criminals and druggies and thieves. There are some people throughout school that are called class leaders. There are others that are called class clowns. There are some that are daddy's girl and others that are just mama's boys. There are some that are told how smart they are. And there are some who are constantly reminded how dumb they are. And when we hear these things over and over and over again, it begins to take a toll on us. And sometimes we give in to it. And we just live that way. Well, if that's what everybody's going to think about me anyway, might as well do it. But Jabez, here in First Chronicles chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, understood that the prophecies of his parents and peers and professors did not matter. While he may have been called one who causes pain, he recognized that by God's grace, he did not have to be one who caused pain. He was not willing to submit to the prophecy of his parents. Rather, he was willing to step up to the plate and be all that God wanted him to be. And that's exactly what we need to do if we're going to stand out in a crowd. Let's not be limited by what everyone has said about us throughout our entire lives. We need to recognize that our lives are limited only to the extent that we will receive the grace of God and step out and do His will and be what He wants us to be. If you want to stand out in a crowd, the very first thing that you've got to learn is don't let the crowd determine where you will stand. The second thing 
we have to learn is that we need to stop standing still and start going somewhere. The prayer of Jabez here in 1 Chronicles chapter 4 and verse 10 is really quite amazing when you consider what he had heard from his parents and his brothers and sisters and his family all his life. It rec- we recognize from that that Jabez obviously had some goals. He had an idea about going somewhere. He wasn't just standing still. He had ambition. He had desires. And he was heading somewhere. And he prayed that God would bless him for that. And that God would bless him in that. That's a phenomenal statement about Jabez and about his life and his mindset. And no wonder he stood out from the crowd. Because he was going somewhere. He was planning that. That's what we need to be. If we're going to stand out in the crowd, we've got to stop standing still and start going somewhere. When God picked out His people from among the world and He established His nation, His church, His kingdom, it's very interesting that He did not establish communes and monasteries. He did not establish little groups of people that would pull out of the world and be completely separate from all the things that were going on in the world. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we find Paul speaking to these folks in Corinth about who they should hang out with and who they should spend their time with. And he was telling them they shouldn't spend their time with Christians who are not living the Christian life. He says in 1 Corinthians 5.10, though, and the side comment on this applies to what we're talking about, yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. Paul demonstrates that God doesn't expect us to go out of the world. He recognizes that we're in the world. We're not of the world, but we're in the world. And that means that we're involved in some of the things that happen in this world. We've got jobs. We're raising kids and they're going to school and we've got things going on in this life. He's not expecting us to step out of the world. And because of that, He has not expected us to be just ambitionless blobs that just let the world pass us by. He expects us to have goals. He expects us to have desires. Very interestingly, some folks will even be surprised to hear a verse like this in Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 9. The preacher of Ecclesiastes said, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. He says, do what you want. Follow your heart's desire." It's all right. And then in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there's no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you're going. He says, whatever you do, do it with all your might. Whatever job you have, do it to the best of your ability. Have ambition, have desire. And regrettably, I think, because we live in a society that treats God like a vending machine, Perhaps we have gotten to where we're afraid to ask God to bless our lives and our endeavors in our life. But Jabez recognized that he could. And Jabez, as he had these goals and these desires, he cried out to God, bless me. And we can do that as well. If we're going to stand out from the crowd, we've got to stop standing still and start going somewhere. But having said that, let me modify that with three biblical points that we need to understand about this. Go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and let's read all of that verse 9. 
It said, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these God will bring you into judgment. Please keep that in mind. God has granted you to follow the desires of your heart, to have ambitions and desires, but He says, Remember, there's going to come a day of reckoning. You will stand before God in judgment, and you will not be allowed to say, But, oh God, I was younger then. He says, so keep it within God's will. Secondly, notice James chapter 4 and verse 3. In James chapter 4 and verse 3, as James describes why there were all these problems going on in the churches there, he said, you you don't have because you don't ask. But then in James 4 and verse 3, he says, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. We need to recognize that while we may have goals and we may have desires, if our only motivation is our own pleasure and our own selfishness, God has never promised to grant any of those prayers. Therefore, as we have our goals and we have our desires, we need to keep well in mind our life before God and service among our brethren. Because God has not promised to grant us our selfish desires. And thirdly, Notice verse 13 in the same chapter, James 4 and verse 13. He says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city and spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. We've got to keep in mind that while we may pray, and certainly we can look at Jabez and see that he prayed and God granted his request, God has never promised to grant all our requests, and he is not obligated to grant our requests. And so when we pray, we must pray with submission to his will. As we have our goals and we have our desires and we ask that God would bless us in these ambitions, we need to be willing, if God says no, to continue to submit to God because he is not obligated to grant the blessing that we ask. We've got to keep that in mind. If we want to stand out in a crowd, we've got to stop standing still and we've got to start going somewhere. And it's all right to ask God to bless us in that. But even in that, we see our third key. If we want to stand out in the crowd, we've got to stop standing and start kneeling. This is so phenomenal. As God went through this list of names... And he came to this one and he wanted to call our attention to it. He didn't tell us about his property. He didn't tell us about his predecessors. He didn't tell us about his prowess. He told us about his prayer. How phenomenal is that? And one of the big shortcomings of the modern hoopla surrounding Jabez is that too often the forest is missed for the trees. We spend too much time trying to figure out what each phrase and each statement means for our lives that we miss the most important part. And the most important part of these two verses is the beginning of verse 10. And Jabez called on the God of Israel. Why did Jabez stand out? Because Jabez prayed. From the beginning of the nation of Israel. It was understood that if borders were going to be enlarged, it was going to be God who did it. In Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 20, it says in Deuteronomy 12 and verse 20, when the Lord your God enlarges your border as He has promised you. In Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse 8, 
Now if the Lord your God enlarges your territory, as He swore to your fathers. If there's going to be enlarged ter- territory, it was going to come from God. And Jabez recognized that. And so when he wanted enlarged territory, where did he go? He went to God. He prayed. Because he trusted God. Because he recognized from whom all blessings flow. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. Not because God blessed him, but because he prayed. And we might take a look at these two verses and wonder, why are they here? Why at the beginning of this book of Chronicles did God tell us about this man and his prayer? I believe it's because we're about to read all kinds of stories throughout the book of First and Second Chronicles. And all of these stories and all these people that we're going to read about all compare to Jabez. And those who were like Jabez, who prayed to God, would be blessed like Jabez. And those who didn't, weren't. In First and Second Chronicles, we read the stories of men who prayed to God like David and Solomon, and Jehoshaphat. We also read the stories of those who did not pray to God, like Rehoboam, and Jeroboam, and Ahab. And they all hearken back to this man, Jabez. Those who followed in the example of Jabez were blessed. Those who didn't, weren't. All of those stories can be read in light of those two verses. Did the person that we're reading about in the text, did they pray to the living God, Jehovah? Or did they pray to dead idols? Did they pray to the God of Israel? Or did they pray to the foreign gods? Did they pray at all? Jabez stood out in the crowd because he prayed. And he prayed to Jehovah God, the one true living God. If God were writing our epitaph, would He have anything to say about our prayer lives? Would there be anything that He could, to which He could call attention regarding our prayers, as He did with Jabez? Our prayers don't have to be long and eloquent. Jabez's prayer, I think, was only about thirty-two words long, but our prayers have to be there. Do we pray? When and why do we pray? How do we pray? Do we pray? That's the question. If we want to stand out in the crowd, we've got to stop standing. And we've got to start kneeling. Because, the fourth key, if we want to stand out in the crowd, we've got to recognize that we're not standing on our own two legs, but on legs God has given us. Jabez prayed to God to bless him because Jabez understood that every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father above, as James chapter 1 and verse 17 tells us. No doubt Jabez was working. Jabez had ambition and drive and he was going places and he was working, he was exerting his effort, but he understood that the only way that his territory could be enlarged, the only way that he could have this goal is if God were to bless him and to bestow His grace upon him. Therefore, he prayed to him. The Bible is filled, is replete, with statements that God's people only have success when God's people, when God's hand is with them. Ezra chapter 7 and verse 9 
It says, on the first day of the first month, he began his journey from Babylon. On the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. In chapter 8 and verse 18, he says, Then by the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us a man of understanding. In chapter, chapter 8 and verse 22, Ezra says that the hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek Him, but His power and His wrath are against all those who forsake Him. We can look in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 8. As Nehemiah made all these requests, in the end of the verse, the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Verse 18, And I told them of the hand of my God which had been good upon me. In the New Testament, Acts chapter 11 and verse 21. In Acts chapter 11 and verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Why did they have success? Because the hand of the Lord was with them. Jabez understood. He wasn't standing on his own legs. He was standing on legs God had given him. And therefore, he had to rely and trust in the blessing and in the grace of God. And he had to acknowledge God. It is so sad today that most Christians rarely step out in faith. We rarely do beyond what we can see with our own eyes as possible in our lives. So many Christians today live live mediocre lives because they're not willing to step out in God's hand. They forget what Peter told us, that God cares for us. And we can often find ourselves making excuses. You remember Moses there as he was looking at the burning bush and God was calling him to lead the people of Israel out and Moses made all kinds of excuses and and we can do the same thing. Well, I'm not the man for the job. What if they ask me questions I don't know the answers to? What if they don't believe me? And on and on and on the excuses come for why we don't do things that we ought to do. Do you remember what God said to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 12? In Exodus chapter 3 and verse 12, God didn't look at Moses and say, Come on, Moses, look, I've chosen you. Doesn't that let you know that you're the man for the job? Instead, in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 12, God said, I will certainly be with you. It's absolutely right. Moses wasn't the man for the job. Moses couldn't accomplish this. But God can. And God could. And God did. And he used Moses. And that's the same with us. God can work through us. You remember one of our key passages for our prayer month, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20? Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, by the power working in us, he can. We've got to trust Him. We've got to rely on Him. And the more we do that, here's the amazing thing we will begin to learn. All the things that we thought we were doing on our own, we were only doing by God's grace. Do you think you live and move and exist by your own power? Acts 17 and verse 28. Acts 17 and verse 28, Paul on Mars Hill pointed out, for in Him we live 
and move and have our very being. The fact that you were able to get here tonight was not because you walked on your own legs, but because of legs God had given to you. Have you ever hit that point when you suddenly realize that you were way out of your league? You know that embarrassing, gut-riching moment when you realize that you've bitten off more than you can chew? Maybe it was on the job and your boss had made a new assignment to you. Maybe it was at school and your teachers decided you were supposed to be challenged just a little bit more. Maybe it was within the church and the elders said, hey, I want you to teach a Bible class. Maybe it was just that your wife came home to you or you came home and, and she said, we've got another one coming. Which we don't, by the way. That's not an announcement. But you've been there. And you thought for a moment, I am not the one for this job. And too often what we want to do at that point is quit. Instead of stepping out in faith, leaning on God, praying to Him to be with us, and remembering that as Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13 says, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13 I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Here is why these moments in our lives are so important. It is these moments when we realize that we've hit something that we cannot do by ourselves that we actually come face to face with how much we need God. It is these moments... that cause us to realize that what we accomplish is not from us, but from God. These are the moments that bring us face to face with the reality of our own personal weakness. And these are the moments that really allow God to work through us. Do you remember Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 as he prayed for the thorn in the flesh to be removed? Do you remember what God said to him? In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9, God said to him, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul's point is, when I recognize I am weak, that's when God can really work through me because that's when we realize that it's really God. So he says, I'll boast in weakness because only when I am weak can I really be strong because when I think I'm strong and I'm constantly stepping out through my own effort, I can only do what I can do. But when I realize that I am weak and I can only do what God can accomplish through me, then I've opened myself up to be one through whom God can work. And He can do exceedingly abundantly, beyond all I ask or think, by the power working in me. And when it's done, and when we've stood out in the crowd, and we've trusted God, and He's used us and accomplished great things through us, 
That's when we'll be able to say, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5, Who then is Paul? Who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Then that moment is when we can turn to God and we can glorify Him and we can say, I know it was you. Because I couldn't do that. If we want to stand out in the crowd, We've got to realize that we're not standing on our own legs, but on legs God has given us. And finally, if we want to stand out in a crowd, we must not let Satan cut off our legs. In Jabez's prayer, he said, Keep me from evil that I may not cause pain. Jabez had goals, he had desires, he had ambition, and he recognized that not only did he need God's blessing to accomplish these things, but that sin was the antithesis of everything he desired. And so he prayed that God would keep him from evil, that he might not cause pain. Despite what we think when we see sin, and we see the option to sin, and the chance for it out there looming for us, and it's inviting us, we need to realize that there is no way to stand out in the crowd when we are dead. And that is where all sin leads. In James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Beginning at verse 14, James said, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. And verse 16, James goes on to say, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. I believe that James says don't be deceived because it is so easy for us to be deceived. While it's true what Peter says about Satan in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, that he is our adversary the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, he does never appear to us in that way. If he walked up to us as a roaring lion, we'd know to get out of Dodge. But that's not what he does. Remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 14, he says, Paul says, And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Satan doesn't lay it out to us and say, This is sin, it'll kill you. He presents something that's inviting. In fact, we might justify it in our minds. We might be able to work out in our minds why this is really the right thing. To do. But Satan deceives us, and it all ends in death. It looks good. God gives, or, pardon me. Satan gives us reasons to believe we should go ahead and do it. There's the lie that'll get us out of trouble and get us what we want. There's the drink that'll make us look cool. There's the revenge that'll just make us feel so good. But while any and all those things might provide us with a moment of pleasure, they all end in death. And you can't stand out in the crowd when you're dead. However, intellectually we recognize that. We know that's the case. But then there's that sin just looming there. And 
Have you ever had that moment in your life where you thought to yourself, I really wish I wasn't a Christian. I wish I didn't know what I knew because then I could go do such and such. Probably many of us have been there. We need to remember what the proverbial says in Proverbs 23 and verse 17. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but live in the fear of the Lord always. Do not let your heart envy sinners. Live in the fear of the Lord always. When we follow after sin, we cannot live excellent lives. We cannot stand out in the crowd. We'll be nothing more than mediocre copies of everyone else. And we'll be living the same life that everyone else is leading. But when we refrain from evil and we turn to God and ask Him to be with us and keep us from evil, and we don't let Satan cut our legs off, we can stand out in the crowd. Brethren, we can lead excellent lives. We do not have to be satisfied with mediocre living. We can be like Jabez and we can stand out in a crowd. We can stand out from the crowd. But if we're going to do that, we must not let the crowd determine where we stand. We've got to stop standing still and start going somewhere. We've got to stop standing and start kneeling. We've got to realize that we're not standing on our own two legs, but on legs God has given us, and we've got to realize that we cannot let Satan cut our legs out from under us. When we do that, we can lead excellent lives. And as God looks through the books of humanity, He'll see our name. And He'll say, here's one of my children, let me tell you about them and put our name in the book of life. Do you stand out in the crowd? Thank you, Edwin, for that exciting look at Jabez and standing out in the crowd. Thank you for joining us for another look into God's Word. Remember what we have learned. If we want to stand out in the crowd, we must first stop letting the crowd determine where we will stand. Second, we must stop standing still and start going somewhere. Third, we must stop standing and start kneeling. Fourth, we must realize we are not standing on our own two legs, but on legs God has given us. Fifth, do not let Satan cut your legs out from under you. If you have any questions about Jabez, prayer, or about the Franklin Church of Christ, please feel free to call us at 615-794-2359 or visit us on our website at franklinchurchofchrist.com.